Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to the Get Your Goat Podcast. Josh here today, and I'm going to break it down for you. What am I going to break down? Well, I have a lot of top lists that I am giving you. I'm giving you my top 10 defensive linemen. I'm giving you my top 5 NBA teams going into next season and the power rankings forecasting that. I'm giving you my top 10 NBA players and my top 5 teams in Major League Baseball right now. So there is a lot to get into, a lot of ranking. And remember, remember, these are my rankings, Josh's rankings. So let's get started. The top 10 defensive linemen, I think, in the game. Who do I think are the top 10 defensive linemen? I've given you everything on offense so far. My top 10 quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, and offensive linemen. I'm giving you my top 10 defensive linemen. And what constitutes a defensive lineman is a tackle, nose tackle, defensive tackle, or a defensive end, not an outside linebacker that can play an edge rusher. So don't get upset if you don't hear names such as TJ Watt or Shaq Barrett. Those will probably be in my top 10 linebacker list. These are top 10 defensive lines, strictly defensive ends and defensive tackles. Don't be alarmed. Number 10, Grady Jarrett, defensive tackle for the Atlanta Falcons. And now you're thinking is what I was thinking, that Atlanta Falcons have a terrible defense. And they do. They've had a terrible defense for a while, especially after that epic Super Bowl collapse. It seems like this whole team has collapsed since the 28-3 lead against the Patriots. But they have one stud, one standout, and that's Grady Jarrett, who has really come to his own back-to-back pro bowler now in the two seasons, has been fully healthy in those two seasons. He has forced two fumbles, has had a fumble recovery, 20 tackles for a loss for a defensive tackle. That is really good and this past year he had four sacks year before seven and a half sacks and D tackles usually if you're Aaron, if only Aaron Donald has the exception but they usually don't have double digit sacks because it's just harder to get to the quarterback because you have to bypass the offensive guard and the center you're more likely to get double teamed in there or get picked so it's harder to kind of get an edge release off like defensive ends or outside linebackers get So his sack numbers to me are impressive for that. And he has had 65 tackles as well the past two years. To me, he is really progressing. Is a standalone player in this defense. But to me, since his impact isn't really affected in all phases of this defense, that is why he is at number 10 and not higher. But he is great at what he does. Number nine is Chase Young. Defensive Rookie of the Year. Made it to the Pro Bowl last year and was phenomenal in the 15 games that he played. Four forced fumbles. A touchdown is a defensive end. That's how good he was. Seven and a half sacks. 32 set tackles, solo tackles, uh, combined for a 44 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, 12 quarterback hits. Chase Young was great. He was great coming out of Ohio State, and he continued that with Washington as they have a potent pass rush there with the football team, spearheaded by this defensive rookie of the year, Chase Young. He's fast, he's brilliant, he can work off the block. He even has to get triple teamed at times to stop this guy. That's how he's seeing. He's seeing three offensive linemen because he's that good, he's that quick, 
He's that fast, and he's just that strong. That's why he's number nine, and he's only going to get better. Number eight is Cameron Hayward, a defensive end, defensive tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it's funny to me because he is getting older. He's 32, and usually we see at this age players take a turn. Uh, J.J. Watt and such, Chandler Jones, they're still good and productive. But you usually don't see them as top 10 right now in the NFL. But that's what we see with Cameron Hayward, four-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, all those being all those being within the past four years. That's how good Cameron Hayward has been. And in those past four years, we've seen sack numbers of 12, 8, 9, and 4. So this past one is diminished, but really this Steelers defense took a turn the second half of the year with injuries uh, to Devin Bush and Bud Dupree and such. So he was seeing more double teams, but he has been an absolute monster with 51 tackles at the peak of his campaign, getting around 20 hits in this four-year span. So he is getting better. The reason he's not higher is because that sack number is the lowest it's been since 2016, but he is still a forced to be reckoned with. Still gets after a quarterback a ton and is a strong dude, but again, with that age, you might see a little bit of a decrease, I think, in that, but he is still one of the premier defensive end or tackles in the league. Number seven, D. Forrest Buckner, defensive tackle, for the Indianapolis Colts. Pro Bowler was to the All-Pro last year, voted first-team All-Pro, was brilliant with the Colts last year. We saw how brilliant he was with the 49ers in their run to the Super Bowl and just how meant he meant to this Colts defense and how much more they improved they were on the defensive side of the football. He has nine and a half sacks last year, his peak was 2018 with 12, but we've seen the past three years, 12, 7 and a half, 9 and a half tackles of 44, 34, and 7. QB hits was a career high last year, 26 tackles for loss were 10. He is getting at it. He has found his role, his fit here in the Colts. Not like that was really necessary because he could fit anywhere on any team because he is that good and that much of a game changer. We saw the 49ers defense take a step back, but we saw the strides that were made with the Colts defense because of DeForest Buckner. Number six, Nick Bosa. Why? Well, you can't say much about him last year. He tore his ACL early in the season, missed all of the season, but the year before, in his rookie year, went to the Pro Bowl, was the defensive rookie of the year. Again, 16 tackles for loss, 9 sacks, 25 quarterback hits. He was ferocious on defense. He played with a chip on his shoulder. He was getting after quarterbacks. And this game looked like he was now coming into becoming a premier defensive end in the league. Ben was injured last year, but I think he's going to come back stronger than ever this year and get back to his Pro Bowl caliber season. Number five, Nick Bosa's brother, Joey Bosa, yet another defensive end out of Ohio State. Three-time Pro Bowler, and when he came out in 2016, was the defensive rookie of the year. So do we know the trend? With the kind of talent that Ohio State produces, Joey Bosa, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Nick Bosa, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Chase Young, Defensive Rookie of the Year. But back to Nick Bosa, again, three-time Pro Bowler, has been really good even in his first season when he didn't make the Pro Bowl, but one Defensive Rookie of the Year, 10.5 sacks, 12.5 sacks, 5.5 sacks, 11.5 sacks, 
now seven and a half sacks. Last year had 27 quarterback hits. To me, is a little bit more polished than his brother, Nick Bosa. Definitely more of a speed rusher, but has so much power, a little bit more power than his brother, is a bigger guy, and can get after the quarterback. Last year, dealt with a little bit of injuries, which had maybe the dip in numbers going from 11.5 sacks to 7.5, but still, he's a force to be reckoned with. Another one that constantly draws double teams because he is that good, that sensational. I expect another big year out of him. He no longer has Melvin Ingram to help him out on the other side as one of the best pass rushing duos. But I don't think that will phase Joey at all. One of the best defensive ends in the game right now. Number four. Defensive end, Cameron Jordan for the New Orleans Saints. Now, he's the same age as Cameron Hayward. He's 32, but Cameron Hayward's been ascending for the past four years where he was relatively quiet quite a few of his seasons, whereas Cameron Jordan has been one of the premier best defensive ends in this game for the past 10 years since he's entered the league That's how good he's been. Six-time Pro Bowler. First-team All-Pro in 2017. This guy knows how to play and has the perfect fit down in New Orleans. Again, the sack numbers is what you are looking for for a defensive end. And he brings that to the team. And another thing which benefits him as well is he's never missed a game. He hasn't. He's been healthy. He's been durable. He's been reliable. He's been productive. That's what you get out of Cameron Jordan every single day and night. He has forced fumbles. He's forced 11 fumbles in his career. In his career, he's had almost 100 sacks, you know, double-digit sack campaigns of 10 or more in five seasons. Quarterback hits in his career of 184. He gets after him. He frustrates the quarterback. He wraps up his tackling. He's strong. And he gets it done. You don't have to worry about Cameron Jordan over on the left side. Started out his career at the right side, right defensive end. He shifted over to the left defensive end. But it doesn't matter. He still puts up big numbers wherever he is at. Number three, Chris Jones, defensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. Two-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, 2019, almost had it again. Last year, started off his career as a defensive end, but has transitioned to a full-time defensive tackle to where now it's a little bit harder to get sacks. His final season as a defensive end had 15 and a half sacks, now defensive tackle. He has nine sacks in 2019, seven and a half last year. But what I love about Chris Jones that I didn't talk about much with the other guys is he is also a run stopper. Not only can he get to the quarterback from where he was at because he got 28 quarterback hits last year in his five-year career, has 100 of them, which is pretty darn good, but the other thing is he stops the run. You can't run right down the middle, down the heart of this defense with Chris Jones right there. You simply cannot. You have to run to the outside and run other motion options Because Chris Jones is waiting there, lurking there, and will wrap you up. That's how good he is. That's why he has 36 tackles the past two seasons. 19 tackles for loss in 18, 8 and 19, 3 last year. The reason I don't have him maybe as number 2 in this list 
is the number two guy has been more productive than Chris Jones, but Chris Jones has now seen a lot of double teams every single matchup. That is what he sees. They try to neutralize Chris Jones the best that they can because he is so potent when he has time and space to get after the quarterback or even the running back. Number two on my list is Miles Garrett. Defensive end for the Cleveland Browns. Is a two-time Pro Bowler and also last year was voted to the first team All-Pro as a defensive end. And last season to me was simply his best because he missed two games, was a little banged up, but still forced four fumbles in 14 games, had 12 sacks, 18 quarterback hits, 48 tackles, 10 tackles for loss. He was spectacular last year. Wasn't a career high in sack. That was 13 and a half and 18. But that was a season where it was, he was really coming out. He has seen a lot more double teams now. And he's only fighting through them. He's only stronger this man has a ridiculous uh, jump as well. Long jump, high jump, whatever it is. It is insane. Then he is so fast as well. That's why his Instagram and Twitter handle are Flash Garrett. Because a defensive end should not be this fast. A 272 pound man should not be this fast. But he is Miles Garrett is a beast at a defensive end and wreaks havoc on offenses. That's what he does constantly, night in and night out. That's why his, he is the second best defensive lineman in the game right now. But there is no disputing who is number one, the best defensive lineman in the game right now, the best defensive lineman. Since he's been drafted, he has been the best. Some argue that he's the best football player in the game right now. Some argue that he could be the greatest defensive player ever. That's how good he is. Aaron Donald, defensive tackle for the Los Angeles Rams. Seven-time Pro Bowler, has never missed a Pro Bowl in his career Six-time first-team All-Pro. Six years in a row. 2014, Defensive Rookie of the Year. 2017, Defensive Player of the Year. 2018, Defensive Player of the Year. And 2020, Defensive Player of the Year. So he's got three Defensive Player of the Years. Was in the Hall of Fame for being one of the best players in the 2010 decade era. And he only played from 14 to 20. He missed out on half of those. But that is how good Aaron Donald is. That is how disruptive he is. In his seven seasons, he has 85 and a half sacks. Five of those seasons are double digits with a career high and almost record-breaking 20 and a half sack campaign in 2018. See, this man, he never has dips in his production. He just has peaks. Never a dip where it's like, ooh, that's a little off. He forces fumbles every single year. Has a high tackle count. High tackles for a loss where he had that 20.5 sack campaign which led the league. That same year he had 25 tackles for loss which led the league. Last year had 20, led the league, had a safety as well. I mean, this guy is so disruptive, and to me, another one that's constantly double-teamed or even has three people guarding him, just which makes it more difficult, but also which shows you the pre- appreciation and the respect that the opposing team has for Miles Garrett, because he is simply the best disruptor in the game. He is a player that can single-handedly wreck an offensive game plan. 
we have seen Aaron Donald, or I have seen Aaron Donald play in this NFC West, watching the Seattle Seahawks, watching the nightmares Russell Wilson has running for his life when Aaron Donald is lined up on the other side. Aaron Donald lives for that, lives for getting after the quarterback, and he is the best at it. He really is. His productions don't dip in the playoffs. Hasn't been in many, but he has had two and a half sacks in three uh, campaigns for the playoffs so far. So he still gets it done, no matter the circumstances. That is Aaron Donald. That's why he's the best. So that is my top ten defensive linemen. Number ten, Grady Jarrett. Number nine, Chase Young. Cameron Hayward at eight. Seven, DeForest Buckner. Six, Nick Bosa. Five, Joey Bosa. Four, Cameron Jordan. Three, Chris Jones. Two, Miles Garrett. And number one, Aaron Donald. So that is my top ten defensive lineman entering this 21 season. Next, Oklahoma and Texas are most likely on the move. They're not changing states or stadiums. They want to go to the SEC, and it looks like this could happen with them in the next couple of weeks. I think this is great for college football. I do. Two of the top premier teams in the league, Oklahoma and Texas, going to now the best conference in college football. That is Oklahoma and Texas. Oklahoma was 6 last year. Texas was 20. I think this only makes the SEC that much stronger, no matter what. This now means that they would have 16 teams in their conference, 8 teams per division, which is basically now like a super conference because some conferences only have 8 teams to where now they would be hosting 8 in each respective division. This only makes it stronger. I think if they were to do it, Texas and Oklahoma should join the SEC West. Makes sense because Texas A&M is in there. Arkansas, the Mississippi teams. But then you'd have to move Alabama and Auburn to the SEC East because split down the line of sort of at Arkansas. That would, to me, make sense. But then you would just have so many great matchups. You would still have uh, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A&M, LSU in the same division. Then in the SEC East, you'd have Florida, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia. Four great teams in each one. You could still have the crossover rivalry of LSU and Alabama. Auburn and Alabama still together. Alabama, Oklahoma meeting up for the SEC championship game. That's basically a playoff game in itself. That, to me, makes college football so great. And to me, puts the SEC so much higher than every other conference right there. Right now, they only have play eight conference games. That would require now a nine-conference game schedule, which only makes it tougher, which is better. But that means that the Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC would have to step up and step up their game because you look at those divisions right now and... In the ACC, you have Clemson, and that is it. You had Notre Dame last year, but I think they would have to keep Notre Dame or tell Notre Dame, like, hey, we need you in our league because Miami is never a real threat. North Carolina is never a real threat. Louisville isn't anymore. Florida State looks like it's past its glory days. So they would need to do work. Ohio State is the premier team in the Big Ten. Penn State had a down year last year, but I think Penn State will bounce back. Michigan really has to step it up as well. Northwestern, Iowa, Wisconsin, all of them, if they want to compete with that SEC team. And the Pac-12, I don't even know what they'd have to do at this moment. But it would require a lot of change, hustling, getting it done for these other conferences and divisions to compete with them so that they're not sending two teams from the SEC every year, or at least right now until the 12-team playoff. But that's exciting news for college football. I hope it gets it done. 
only makes the competition and the pay of play so much more intriguing, interesting, and better. Now moving on to some NBA, I'm giving you my top five teams, kind of based on this past year, and what I kind of have them going for into next season, which starts in October, uh, only now a couple months away getting back onto a regular schedule. Number five is the Utah Jazz. Why? Well, they were consistently like my number one team this whole season. They were very good defensively, had defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, had an MVP candidate in Donovan Mitchell, and the sixth man of the year in Jordan Clarkson, and were the best three-point shooting team, shot the most threes, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, Bogdanovich, they were all spectacular, but they fizzled out against the Clippers in the playoffs. Series was at 2-2. They actually had a 2-0 lead, and they lost four games in a row. The last two to a Kawhi-less Clipper team. That hurts. That's why they're not higher. But with a team that is expected to remain the same, maybe a coaching change is necessary. But the core is intact for them to set up successfully in the NBA. Number four, the Philadelphia 76ers. I think they're great... Whether they get rid of Ben Simmons or not, I do. Uh, Joel Embiid is Defensive Player of the Year candidate when he's locked in. Ben Simmons is Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Joel Embiid is a monster on offense and shoots free throws so efficiently. Tobias Harris when he's feeling it. They have Shaquay Milton, who's finding his game. Thibel, Seth Curry. Uh, If they get rid of Ben Simmons, I only think this team will do better depending on the trade package, but with him, they are still a competitor in this East team. And we saw last year that they were the best team in the East. They were. They were able to beat the Nets with the current system. So it's they're just looking at tweaking to get better, but they do have something that I think works in the East. I don't think they could ever win a championship with what they have, but they are still one of the best teams with what they have. Number three, the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers opened up out of the gates last year, were playing so well. Then injuries to AD and LeBron happened, uh, and that kind of threw their season off the rails. In the playoffs, AD injured as well, which sent them home. But when they're healthy, when we saw them in the small glimpses, LeBron and AD are one of the best duos in the league can take this league by force, and I think next year, if healthy, but then again, every team if healthy, the Lakers will be one of the best ones. They're going to retool their roster, get players around them, but even if they were to stay pat, uh, they'd be one of the best, if not the best, in the West. Number two, the Brooklyn Nets. Why? Well, they have a super team. A superstar trio of MVP, MVP candidates with Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. They never really clicked on with chemistry last year, most of it due to injuries. But we saw the greatness of James Harden throughout the season, regular season, where he was playing like an MVP candidate. Then he got injured in the playoffs, which hurt his team. Kyrie Irving was playing sensational as well, got injured in the playoffs, and Kevin Durant putting on a show in Games 5 and Game 7s against the Milwaukee Bucks, but couldn't finish it out. But this team will be back. Of course, they're up against the salary cap because their three players are kind of tied to the contract, so we have to fill up a roster ahead of them. But the Nets should be back with the only, to me, legitimate super team in the league. Now, number one, and to me, if you're the defending champions, there's no way you get knocked for not being the number one team, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks. 
to me, Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of the top players in the NBA. Right now, at this moment, he just is. He proved that throughout all these rounds of the playoffs. I thought it was kind of over when he hyperextended his knee. But he played in that Sun Series was sensational. Chris Middleton found his role as a perfect closer. Drew Holiday as this defensive maestro who got after the opponent's top point guard or shooting guard, whatever it may be, kind of shut them down. Even if he wasn't doing much on offense, at least he was doing his job defensively. Brooks Lopez as well, a big seven-foot big man. Bobby Portis, Energizer off the bench, and they won it without Dante DiVincenzo, who is, to me, their best three-point shooter consistently. So the Bucks do bring back a lot of talent, have their top three set up. To me, aren't a real super team. Yes, they have Giannis, but to me, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are not superstars. But they do have kind of a borderline great super team right there mixed in. But they are great. And that's why they're number one from this season. That's why they won it. That's why they'll continue to win, I think, next year. Do I think that they'll repeat? No, I don't. I think they had a smooth road, but I feel like the Suns had a smooth road too. If Jamal Murray's not injured for the Nuggets, AD's not injured for the Lakers, Kawhi's not injured, they don't make it past any of those rounds, uh, which is why we didn't make it past the Bucks. but the Bucks had to deal with James Harden as well, a team that wasn't ready uh, for the conference finals and the Hawks and the NBA finals and the Suns. So I think if every team's healthy, the road is much tougher, really, for all these teams. And that's good for the NBA. Now I'm going to give you my top 10 NBA players that I think are kind of after just top 10 active players. Most of the factoring coming in from this past season, but players... I have liked, and there are so many great players in the NBA. Some I were going back and forth on my list, but this is what I have. This is what I will go with. Number 10, Anthony Davis, power forward and center for the Los Angeles Lakers, nicknamed The Brow. He's an eight-time All-Star, three-time block champ, Four-time All-NBA, four-time All-Defensive, 2016-17 All-Star MVP, NBA Championship with the Lakers in his first season. He is brilliant. Averages 24 points a game and 10 rebounds. Averages a double-double throughout his career. It has been brilliant and point scoring. This past year had a down year. Because of injuries, but when he was healthy with the Lakers, 26 points. With the Pelicans, we saw him put up 28 points and 11 rebounds. This guy can play. Has been inconsistent from the free throw line, though. Uh, has shot as high as 82%, but this year shot a career low uh, 73%. So we've seen about a 10% dip in there. But defensively, he is one of the best defensive players in the league, he is. He can guard sort of a one through five stretch up on all of them. To me, is the second best power forward in the game of basketball. Uh, he is simply one of the best and is arguably a top five player when he's healthy. But that's the thing. That's why he's not in my top five because it's the with, it's the when he's healthy, but if he's healthy. You can't consistently count on that. Because has he ever played a full season? No, he has not. He's never played all 82 games. That's why I can't give him that. Last year only playing 36. When they won in 20, only played uh, 62, which was his closest to it because the season was then shortened. But he has not played a full 82-game season ever in his career. But... He is really good. He's clutch as well. And I'll take it. I will take Anthony Davis 
because he is that good both offensively and defensively. Number nine, Luka Doncic. In sort of his three years of the NBA, has kind of taken it by storm, getting better every year. A two-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA the past two years, was the Rookie of the Year when he came out and has been really good. Last year averaging 27 points, 8 assists, and 8 rebounds, close to a triple-double. But he is, offensively, he's a force to be reckoned with. Requires double teams at times, guarding up the court because he is that good. Has no defensive skill to his game, however. But that's not why you go to see Luka. You go to see the offensive skill set that he has. To be, needs to improve in two areas to fully round out his offensive game. One is free throw shooting, only shooting 73% in his career, which isn't good. And his three-point shooting ability is only 33%. Again, those aren't high numbers, those aren't League high when, you know, you have players such as Curry averaging around 42%. His brother averaged around 45 Kyrie and Damian and all them are up there as well. So he really needs to come down. But he averages so many triple-doubles. And at such a young age, he's only going to get better. Number 8, Nikola Jocic. Center for the Denver Nuggets, the Joker, is so efficient as a three-time All-Star, three-time NBA, is a reigning league MVP where he shot 50% from the field, 40% from the three, almost 40% from the three at 39, and almost 90% from the free throw line. That is how good he is. Averaged 26 points and 10 rebounds, a double-double last year to 8 assists, almost averaged a triple-double. He's the best passing center in the game. He is. Is he the most athletic? No. Is he the best defensively? No. But he is one of the most efficient big men. In the league. Uh, He plays a ton of minutes for this team. Shoots 56% from three, as I said. 39% this past year. So he's a better three-point shooter than Luka Doncic. He has offensive tools in his shed. Has a great shimmy move. Uh, Step back as well. Uh, This guy can really play. Is he the most fun to watch? No. He isn't, and that's kind of just his style of play and also his position as well. But he is a great, tremendous basketball player. Number seven, Kawhi Leonard, the claw. I don't have him higher because he probably won't play this year with his torn ACL. And he has had dealt with quite a few injuries in the past. But he is a five-time All-Star a two-time Finals MVP, two-time champion, two-time Defensive Player of the Year. has been a steel champion, too. Uh, he was good in San Antonio, good in Toronto, and he's been good with the Clippers. However, he is not fully an offensive threat in terms of just points. You know, as we see the LeBrons, the Giannis, even the Lucas, and what he's averaging his career, he's only averaged 19 points. But you factor some of those out. Uh, last year, he's kind of coming into his own, where it's been the past three years 26, 27, and 25 around there. And so he does that, but most of his work is on the defensive end. He'll give you a two way game, is one of the best two way players. Offensively and defensively, uh, can take it to the hole. Is a pretty good three point shooter as well. 40% last year from the field, 51%. So he is efficient from that. And as I said, 
defensively great. Averages two steals in his career, about two steals every season. Uh, that is tremendous given his position as a small forward, but he takes pride in his defensive game and being able to shut down the opposing best player in there. He takes the assignment in the playoffs of guarding Luka, guarding Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, guarding the Clay Thompson in the playoffs. That is what he does guarding Kevin Durant. That is what he wants guarding Giannis. He wants that matchup, which makes it exciting when he takes on such a heavy assignment. That's why he's one of the best in the league. Number six, Joel Embiid. Trust the process. Didn't even play his first two years in the NBA due to injury. Then his first full year, didn't really play most of the games because of the injury. But his past four seasons where he's played most of the games, even though he has dealt with injuries, which is why he's not in my top five, but he has been in that span a four-time All-Star, three-time All-Defensive team because he is brilliant. Last year, averaging 28 points, which was a career high, 10 rebounds. That's a double-double. From the free-throw line, shoots 85%. That's better than a point guard should be Luka Doncic and others. You don't want to send him to the charity stripe. He's efficient as well, shooting uh, just around 50% from the floor. But I think one thing which is underrated is when he's feeling it, he can knock down threes. With 37% last year from a three-point shooter, doesn't take a lot, but when you leave him open, he can make you pay occasionally, which is crazy. But it's a big man. He has a refined game, is strong as well, can back you down, does majority of his damage in the post, and deservedly so. Joel Embiid is a force to be reckoned with. Now time for my top five. Number five, James Harden. One of the best scorers the NBA has ever seen. Has transformed from just a role player to one of the best players in the NBA, a nine-time All-Star, three-time scoring champ, an assist champ, seven-time All-NBA, won the league MVP in 2018. He is sensational. As I said, the three-time scoring champ did that between 18 to 23 consecutive years where he averaged 30 points, 36 points, and 30 Four points while averaging eight assists in that span. He was really good. Really, really good. Even this past year with Brooklyn on a tear as well, averaging 25 points and 11 assists. That is what he does. His three point shooting as well, he takes a ton of them, is a career 36% shooter. With Houston, he was just around that span at 36. Same with Brooklyn. He gets to the free throw line as well. He draws contact. He likes getting to the free throw line. Is about an 88% a shooter of the past couple years. Is a career 86. But he averages around 11 attempts a game, which is just sick the past few seasons. And he converts on most of them. He likes getting to the line, and that's just the skill of his game, being able to bust open the game with a long three, but also getting to the rack in drawing contact, getting an and one, and playing. James Harden is one of the best scorers this league has ever seen. To me, even though he had that injury, didn't look great in the playoffs, I'll give him a pass because I think he will be back next year. That's why he's number five. Number four is Steph Curry for the Golden State Warriors. The man who needs no introduction, Chef Curry. But I will give it to you. Again, a seven-time All-Star, two-time scoring champ, 
unanimous MVP, back-to-back MVP as well in 2016-2017. He was brilliant. Scoring champ two years in 16, averaged 30 points. This past year averaged 32 points. He's just brilliant in every category. Averages 90% from a free throw line. Averages 47% from a field and 43% from three. Almost in his career averaging that 50-40-90 mark of 50% from a field, 40% from three, and 90 from a free throw line. He does that in two, just not in a regular field goal percentage. But he is lethal from three. Last year he was almost 50% from a free throw line. Shot 48%. That is how good he is. No, my bad. He shot 42% from a three-point line, but 48% from a field. My bad. But that is how good he is. Averages 5 of 12. That is just too good. He is a legitimate sniper from the backcourt, from deep. It doesn't matter where it's at. Pull up from 40 feet, 30 feet, 20, whatever the distance is. Curry has got the range. He's got it in the bag. That's why one of his nicknames is the Baby-Faced Assassin. Because that's what he does to your team. He demoralizes. He destroys you with a barrage of three-pointers that seems that never seems to stop and just energizes the crowd. That is what he does constantly. That is what makes him so good. And it's not only that, but it also the touch with his layups in getting to the rim around the rim. Working it, his high-arching floaters. Chef Curry is one of the best to do it. One of the best point guards of all time. Arguably the best point guard of all time in his career isn't over yet. That's how good Steph has been. Is one of a few players to ever average 30 points a game with a shooting percentage of 65%. He's a marksman. That's what he is. That's what he does consistently on a nightly basis. And lo and behold, when Steph, I mean when Clay comes back healthy next year, better watch out because it's going to open things up even more for Steph Curry. Number three is Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, the Slim Reaper, Easy Money Sniper, KD, the Durantula, whatever you want to call him, is also brilliant. He's an MVP, two-time finals MVP, one-two finals, 11-time All-Star, four-time scoring champ. I mean, for a man that's 6'11", 7'0", whatever it is, he should not be this skilled at shooting the ball, but he is. And the reason I won't give him number two on my list is his highest production. The scoring champs, the MVPs, have happened in OKC. They have not happened since he's left OKC. Won the scoring champ at 30 points, 28-28-32. The free throw at 90%. Uh, That is who he is. That's how good he is. But we haven't seen that level of him from OKC than we have now. Uh, With Golden State, average around 26 points. Whereas with OKC, he was definitely more of that 28 point score, so it's only a dip of two points, but still, that is something, and he has that same kind of stats in Brooklyn. But again, a 7-foot small forward, shooting 90% from a free throw line, 27 points a game, 39% from three. Last year shot 45% from three. Uh, This dude just kills it. Shoots 50% from the field in general. 
That's greatness right there. Basically, unguardable is what he is. Giannis didn't want that assignment in the playoffs either. He gave that to P.J. Tucker. He did. He wanted to make P.J. Tucker look like the fool because he didn't want to embarrass himself. And the scoring that Kevin Durant does, he just makes it look too easy because, again, he's so tall, he's so skilled that everything flows naturally from him. Every shot he takes from at least mid-range, 15 feet in, looks automatic. The shot release, everything is just brilliant. The touch that he has, the force that he plays with to score him a post as well, to launch a three-pointer, Kevin Durant is as skilled as they come. Number two, the one wanting to take the crown, Giannis Adedekumpo, the Greek freak, is brilliant. Most improved player, only player since MJ, with a defensive player of the year, finals MVP, MVP, and he's won the MVP twice, back-to-back, in 20 and 19. Four-time All-NBA defense, just won finals MVP, coming off one of the best playoff games anyone has ever seen, where he put up a 50-piece double-double on there. That's how good he was, averaging 28 points this past season, 29 this season, before that, 27 the season before that. Rebounding, averaging 11 this past year, 13 the year before, 12 the year before. Now a walking double-double, approving, improving the assist numbers too, to around six assists. He's also turning into a playmaker, LeBron-esque right there. Needs to work on his free throw shooting. 70% from his career, but in these playoffs it was terrible until that last game where it was vintage 17 of 19, that is what he needs to work on. Has no three-point shooting skill as well, but he's efficient from a field shooting 57%. That's how good he is. One of the greatest power forwards, I think, to ever do it now. To me, he's a top five power forward ever, just with the resume that he currently has. That is Giannis. In the few years it has been. And he's only going to get better. 26 year old entering his prime. It is all great for him. Is also been the league leader in PER of the past few years. That is player efficiency rating. Rating how efficient you are for your minutes played. Your percentage scored. Your usage rate and all that. His usage rate is very high. Around 37%. That is basically one-third of the plays all comes straight from Giannis. His defensive win shares are high. He has a high impact on defense as well. Uh, Giannis gets it done on both ends of the floor. To me, is the best defensive player in the game. I know Rudy Gobert won it, but I'd rather have Giannis over him because he hustles on every play, that's what he does. Offense, defense, he gives you 110% on each ends of the court, night in and night out, and has turned him into arguably the best player in the NBA right now. But I can't do that to the second to the greatest in LeBron James. King James, the chosen one is one of the best players to ever do it. Has been in the league 18 years, 17 straight all-star appearances, has had a scoring champ, has the most hardware in the NBA right now, at four MVPs, four finals MVPs, four-time champion, 17-time all-NBA, six-time NBA defense, a scoring champ. I mean, LeBron has done everything you can do in this league, he's a walking 27 point point score, 8 assists, 8 rebounds, 
That is just what he is. He's won an assist champ, and he's not even a point guard. But he is the best passer in the NBA somehow at his size. His court vision is so high. He is now listed as a point guard for the Lakers when he played the small forward role with Cleveland because it just comes so natural. The game comes so natural to LeBron James. The only person you can compare him to is Michael Jordan. That's still really not justice because they were two different players. But LeBron, again, when he started his career, has been the PR prince before Giannis has taken it. LeBron was the most efficient player. The usage rate was very high. His usage rate is still high, around 31%. The amount he touches the ball and has an impact is huge. Around half of the offense comes straight from him. The scoring, at least, comes straight from him. He affects the game so much again. His shooting is great. His three-point range is just around Damian Lillard's at around 37%. I think the only thing he has to work on is his free-throw shooting. Last year was 70%, but that's around his career. He's never been comfortable from a three-throw line, but that's about the only thing you can say from him, from a man who has been so great, has had 99 triple-doubles, and then just the playoffs alone, he has been great. He about leads every playoffs that he is in, maybe other than this past one with the Lakers. He has been the best player in the playoffs. Win or lose, he has been the best. So many stats you can drop on LeBron. Um... First time, only time leading your team and points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, whatever it may be in the finals, averaging a triple-double in the finals. LeBron has simply done it all. Is still the best player in this game and I think still wants to play at a high level. So that's my top 10 players in the NBA. Anthony Davis, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jocic. Kawhi Leonard, Joel Embiid, James Harden, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and LeBron James. Now finishing up this up, the NHL expansion draft happened. Seattle Crack and Stink are not good. They drafted AHL players, so obviously they are looking more towards the future in a very easy, winnable division. Didn't make any flashy picks, but nothing like rebuilding and tanking. Already. What else? The Cleveland Indians are no longer the Cleveland Indians. They have changed their name. It's official. They are now the Guardians. The Cleveland Guardians, I kind of like it. Guardians of the Galaxy, Cleveland Guardians, rhymes with Indians, Guardians, that ends kind of thing. I think it's fine. And at least they chose a name. The Washington football team are two years in, haven't chosen a name. And Cleveland has already done it. They've took less time than the football team. So good for Cleveland. I like it. I'm fine with it. The logo looks good too. Home run for them. Now I will quickly give you my MLB top five to wrap this up. Number five, the Chicago White Sox. Why? Well, their bullpen is simply really good. They're a streaky team. And right now, they're in the middle of a very good streak where they are one of the best teams in baseball. Number four, the Houston Astros. Why? Well, they have the most runs scored. They get offense from every position that they have, and they are making a threat to win it again this year. Number three, the Boston Red Sox. Why? They've won three in a row. They lead a competitive AL East ahead of a Tampa Bay Rays right behind them in a Yankees team. That is teetering back and forth in a win-loss column. Number two, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Why? Well, they have the most depth in baseball, the best depth, the best run differential as well. And they are getting it done with their depth with players being injured. But number one is still the San Francisco Giants. Why? Well, if you're number one for this line, you obviously have the best team. Do they have the MVPs, the flashy players? No. But it's a team game, and they play the best team game. 
They play the best defensive game as well, the least amount of runs allowed. And they just had a big heavyweight series with the Los Angeles Dodgers, with whom they have struggled with. And they just took three out of four games against them, which cements them right now as the best team in baseball. So that's my top five, the White Sox, the Astros, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, and the Giants. And that's all, folks. Hope you all have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. Bye, everybody.